This is Nifty Conversations. This is episode number 14. Uh, today, the guest I'll be speaking to is Martin. The conversation is going to be around miscarriages and really understanding that from a male's perspective, just to understand your experiences, lessons you've learned, and just really giving that male perspective that will help someone who's going through the same situation. So Martin, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Martin Mayega and a family man and husband of one wife, uh, obviously, and I've got three children, boys, uh, nine eight and six. I'm blessed to have those children. And I do work in healthcare, but uh, I also do serve the Lord. I manage a private healthcare farm. So obviously you meet all sorts of situations where people need all that level of support with their families. So it gives you that kind of scope in which to meet people that have very diverse needs and support that they require. It gives you a sense of perspective and balance as to how you view life. More so if you've been through certain experiences like mine, going through miscarriages as as a dad, you find that society tends to provide a lot of sympathy to the ladies. But obviously, we'll, we'll go, we'll go deeper into some of those experiences and what they look like. But in a nutshell, that's pretty much my background and mm. my, my identity. Uh, I live up in Norfolk. I've uh, been up in Norfolk the last six months. And um, yeah, we, we take it uh, one day at a time. And, and basically, that, that's who I am. Yes. Yeah, so just starting off your story. So what happened in your situation? And what did you learn from that experience? What happened in my situation? Perhaps I'll open up with, you know, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And mm. different people have different belief systems. But I'm a Christian. And I believe in, in the Bible. And in the Bible, you find scripture that will say to you that none of your children will miscarry. So you you grow up with that whole sense that much as it does happen, it is not the design of God. Um, but in, in my situation, it is something that was far from me, to be honest, in expectation, in something that I would think would happen to us. But the first time was a mis-miscarriage. Mm. What a miscarriage is, is the fact that your partner, the biological system, uh, depicts a pregnancy, mm-hmm. but the development does not happen the way it should. So the body programs itself like mm. your partner is carrying but then uh, there isn't a development in the system. So that happened the first time, I think about uh, a year and a bit into our marriage. And it's one of those things you're like, I guess it does happen, you don't think much of it. And then about 18 months later, we go through the Mm -hmm. same system. And for me, I think what was the most challenging uh, situation is when it comes to um, managing the miscarriage medically, that experience, the pain, the emotions, you know, the expectations and the dashing of those expectations and hopes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time it's like a blizzard that hits you and you think, well, everybody in the neighborhood has got a piece of it. So you kind of move on. Mm-hmm. And, and But the second time is when it hit hard and you're like, wait a minute, this is becoming something that's serious then obviously majority of i won't call it support but the commiserations and the sympathy Mm. you see them going towards uh, your wife Mm. and 
you look at it as, I guess, that's the way it is because they are directly affected because they've been carrying. But they don't know how to process these emotions that come afterwards. Emotions are unrehearsed. They're unapologetic. And quite frankly, do not ask for your permission before they hit you anywhere, anytime. And you try to brush it off. You try to ignore it. You try to give it all sorts of names and excuses. Yeah. Just looking back at the first time it happens and the and what was that process like when you were in terms of finding out in terms of having to cope in terms of having to deal with emotions what was that like for you and it was a mixture of numbness and sorrow it feels like a proper loss Mm. it's a grieving process you go through uh believe it or not and you're not prepared for it but for me there was a big sense of loss and disappointment not recall hanging out with somebody saying to me, bruv, it's going to be fine, it happens, it's happened to me. Not necessarily me in particular. So for me, it's that sense of loss and disappointment and emptiness. Okay. And in that time, were you seeking or looking for support or was it just, how How did you manage to deal with that when you wasn't feeling that you were getting the sort of support, the sounds like it was something that was required that you were looking for or wanted. I think it is just in retrospect. Mm-hmm. No, at that point in time, I don't think I was looking for it. In retrospect, it's me thinking, I think that's something I could have done with, looking mm-hmm. back at some of the emotions that I went through, looking back at some of the feelings I went through. I'm like, yes, I guess I would have been supported here. But at the time, I didn't look for it. I did not know I needed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I processed the situation on a day by day. I, I encouraged myself in reading scripture, in praying, and in, in keeping positive. So for me, it's looking back that then I realize how much support would be required uh, for men that go through this situation. I mean, to give an example, I listened to, uh, I think it was like a testimony or a podcast of a gentleman I happened to know. The brother is a good friend of mine, actually, abroad. But Mm. this couple have been married since 2001 in Mm. my collection. So we're looking at a good 20 years. And they've had miscarriage after miscarriage. And they don't have a child to date. And... Mm. He had collected a huddle and got these men up in a room and they were talking about these emotions. And for the first time in over 10 years, I'm like, that's the feeling I got when they were sharing those experiences. Understood. Yeah. And when you're going through these emotions, now that you, you look at it in hindsight, how do you think that someone who's next to you or can provide support can reach out to you? Is it a case that you have to be ready for that rather than someone actually leaning in and trying to find, trying to give you the, the type of support that you need? What, what are the signs that show that you needed the support? You needed a, you're going to be all right, bro. I guess it's one of those things when it's happened, it only needs somebody perhaps, not only, but better if someone has been through it. Mm. It is talking through the experience. It's that encouragement to hearing the stories of one pulling through mm-hmm. uh, or, or how they dealt with their own situation. It's those mm-hmm. destruction techniques that someone brings along and knowing that you are actually not on your own in that sense. I wouldn't want to say that I was on my own, obviously, as a family. 
get that support with friends, you know. But I think I was raised in a culture that did not know how to emotionally manage that whole process. I was raised uh, in a culture that most times did not talk about the fact that there has been one miscarriage. Mm. You know, you talk to some of your relatives, you know, in their 60s, 70s, and then they say to you, they've been through those experiences, and you're like, well, you're a grown man. Nobody ever talked about that. It's like it's never talked about. So I think that played a part in my responsiveness or otherwise towards the support I could have got at the time. Yeah, but looking back, I think I would have done with, you know, those conversations around the subject. Uh, Mm. I could have done with examples of how people have coped. I could have done with something that would have distracted me. Never mind the fact that there is a part of me that did not know how to seek for that support because perhaps I'm quite sure that that support was required. Yeah, you said something there that's critical that culturally, and I think a lot of culture, especially African cultures, we're not very good at communicating, especially about certain emotional things. For example, miscarriage, like for example, when we're going through uh, depression and things like that, we're not very good at doing that. So I wonder whether there is a different way. I'm, I'm getting the impression is that it's actually something that's needed. But how do we actually initiate that? conversation or initiate that discussion with family members people we care about because it it seems like on one part it's required by the person's going through it but i don't think we really fully know how to do that engagement have you got any ideas around that any thoughts around that I think for me, you just have to start, you've got to actually open the conversations and start off with opening the conversations using using third party personalities, okay? Mm-hmm. Perhaps conversation between two, three people and uh, the subject is not directly related to them, but it mm-hmm. affects them mm-hmm. such that then these conversations invite them in to start drawing from their own experiences. I think the African culture, for one that I know of, is mm. that if someone doesn't start certain conversations, then even the children they raise do not know how to start those conversations because they never saw their parents start those conversations. And it can be passed on down the line without realizing. Mm. You know, uh, my wife is predominantly culturally oriented British. So there are certain things. I am pretty much of a hybrid. A lot of my younger, early 20s, probably the first two years of my 20s, is more of the African background. And then a lot of my life is, is Britain. So it's a bit of a hybrid. But then certain things that my wife was very comfortable with talking about. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm comfortable discussing that. Mm-hmm. I have to unlearn and start being comfortable discussing things openly. That helped in so many instances that I came across in our marriage, which would not have been as helpful based on how I had seen things being done uh, as a young man growing up. Equally, conversations, you know, around the subject of miscarriage, conversations that could portray a a fair degree of weakness or failure, Mm -hmm. we find that uh, 
the cultural orientation, especially from the African or Asian descent, uh, have not been very good at allowing themselves that vulnerability that will lead to support structures and perhaps better outcomes. Understood. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. Because it's the, that support is required, but it's it, we sort of it sounds like there's an internalization of the, of that pain and, and that you're going through, and it's never really appreciated that actually even in our families people need that support exactly exactly going back to my story it's not Mm. just one or two miscarriages it dawned on me Mm. we've had more miscarriages than the number of children we've got Uh, okay and that is really painful uh for me it's a subject that i'm very very it's very personal to me Mm. I did see examples of men uh, going through it. I know a gentleman who went through it, I think about seven of them. It's that whole sense of you almost see these invisible accusations of whose fault that is, that you've actually got to journey with. You literally have got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You've got to have the right network around you in terms of the people Mm. close to you that believe in you. When you talk about invisible is the accusations? It sounds like a source of internal gr- grief or accusation. Is it coming from yourself or coming from others? What is bringing that to light? That's a very good question. Very yeah. good observation. I think it is two way. Mm. Part of it is internal, and a part of it is you having these hypothetical imaginations of how the society around you portrays you, or mm. sees you, or judges you based on this unfortunate uh, situation. And now I understand why people kept it hush-hush, you know. This is mm-hmm. not a conversation that men or people go out and say, I've had this miscarriage. You, you, you know, they, they are made, there are so many out there in families that nobody ever gets to know because the whole kind of interpretation is like, well, I'd better not make this public because I just can't handle what people think, say. And then it becomes one way, it becomes those internal accusations. Mm-hmm. So, and for me, it's breaking that barrier and getting people to understand, just like any other situation, once it is exposed, mm. number one, it's not just you, but there are others who hadn't actually opened their mouth, or there are others who hadn't managed to process that whole situation. Even people listening here now who've been through it may actually not have fully processed the experience, the pain and the grief. Mm-hmm. That cycle has to reopen for it to close. Um, but, but for me, it's the third and fourth that hit me the hardest. When you have a miscarriage before you have children, as a man, mm. um, the pain, grief, sense of loss experience I have found different from having them when you have children. Mm-hmm. When I have had children and I've had a miscarriage, but I can juxtapose between two worlds. Mm. I can juxtapose between these children who are already here and this one who might have been able to join them. Mm. You, really, you you build more stable frames of what the future looks like because there is a point of comparison. Mm. So when that future does not come to light based on what you have built, processing that sense of loss is a lot more real, is a lot more surreal. It's, yeah. When you say processing that sense of loss, have you gone through, do you feel now that you've gone through the process of processing that in a sense that you've come to the other side or is it something that you feel that is going to be with you 
for the rest of your... It is difficult to actually determine that you've been to the other side. I think there is always, there are going to, always going to be blurred lines in terms of the distinctiveness of this side of the grieving and sense of loss and the other side. Um, mm. Talking about it, talking about it, I think I'm much closer to the other side than I probably was a couple of months ago. I don't think it is something that you completely obliterate and say you've moved over to the other side. It's something that you live with. Uh, put it this way, it's just like saying that it's a big scar that doesn't hurt as much anymore, but at mm. one it was a very deep wound. That process. So you talked about faith. Uh, faith is a big part. It sounds like a big part of, of of you, who you are. You mentioned about the need to be in a situation where you find people you can talk to about. Yes. What, give us an insight of how you're getting through this. What are the elements or the things that are helping you through that process? Everybody has got different ways in which they respond to the help and support around them. Mm-hmm. But how I have personally coped is that I have coped through a very strong relationship I've got with my wife. Mm-hmm. That is talking through things and praying through them. And my faith in in God, in Jesus Christ, in you know the scriptures, reading the Bible and, and praying. For me, that has been actually said number one. Those those two things have helped me cope through it. And the other thing is also the affirmations from reading the word in, in who I really am. Mm-hmm. Um, despite all these situations, I've not allowed it to label me or to affect the outcome of who I really am that has kept me going and has has given me the belief. And the other thing that people forget that these experiences make you stronger. There's almost like an inert layer of resilience, Mm. an inert layer of compassion that comes onto you. You know, you find people having been through situations and how they deal with it or how they support others is completely different from those that may not have been through it. So for me, the faith aspect, the relationship I've had in my family, especially my wife, has really gone a long way in giving me that level of support. And the close-knit family, my brothers and sisters-in-law particularly, that has been extremely helpful going through it and talking through it. And, And perhaps also friends and other members of the family who've been through it and have managed to come out on the other side of it. That has helped me uh, to cope with with the whole whole situation. To say that you completely heal, that is a stage and gradient that is uh, very personal and individual to different people. And for me, the journey of healing, I I personally believe People out there, especially men, need that level of of support. It could be harder groups where they just talk through the whole process. But the sense of grief and the sense of loss is very real. And just there's there's that moment where you've been through the initial miscarriage and then, you you know, you think about, OK, trying again. Can I just understand what it, you, you also mentioned about having a sense of strength and I interpret that to be a sense of courage? Where does that come from? Was there any reservation in your mind saying, I, you know, I don't really feel that I need to go through this again? Or what was your thought process at that time? That courage comes from 
faith in God. Okay, interesting. In that time, yeah, it's like yesterday is gone and I can't bring it back. Mm. I cannot use yesterday to label the future. I can't change yesterday and I can't mm. change what happened, but that cannot determine what the future looks like in this particular instance. Don't get me wrong, there are certain actions you did yesterday that will affect, that cannot be uh, a statement that can be applied everywhere. But in this particular instance, you say to yourself, there is absolutely nothing I could have done differently. Mm. That yesterday is gone. I've got to approach the next day with a completely clear mind, Mm. knowing who I am in God, and Mm. God is on my side, and then I'll pull through it. And and that's, that's the choice I've made. Perhaps to preempt you, mm. there is that balance between having had two miscarriages and then having our first son. Because there is that bridge where you're thinking the first one, the second one, and is this also going to happen? And this is where I, I really saw my faith or our faith uh, in mm. us. So my wife is pregnant mm. and go out to this retreat uh, with a group of ladies and she's about two and a bit months pregnant. She's not. We've not told a soul because mm. we we're not going to embarrass ourselves. Should the inevitable happen again, mm-hmm. not, or should the unfortunate occurrence happen again? So, and we're saying this time, Lord, we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to put our hopes high. We need a confirmation from somewhere. Mm. She shares a room with this lady who has absolutely no clue what's going on. Mm-hmm. No clue. Mm-hmm. And then this lady has a dream, and this is very, I remember this as, as clear as day. This, this is 2011. This mm. lady has a dream. They share a room. Nobody knows about any other person's affairs. They only share a room because they're out on a retreat. Mm. And she has not told this lady about the fact that she's pregnant and just a couple of weeks in and nothing. And this lady has a dream, and in this dream, the lady's son, the lady had a son who was about six, seven years old. The lady's son, twin son, had fallen into a pit latrine. Mm. Now, so some people may not know what a pit latrine is, but in some parts of the world, especially Asia and Africa, the nature of the lavatories is not the flush lavatories that we have here, the toilets where you flush the water. The nature of the lavatories are there is a, a little hole that is dug in a concrete and See that the pit is a couple of feet deep and it's just basically covered. If someone wants to go, then they just uncover it and then they go and then they cover it again. That that's mm. the laboratories in some parts of the world, especially the rural parts of the world. Mm. So that's the picture in that dream. And she said that in that dream, her son had fallen into the pit latrine and she began to scream, My son is gone. But actually, when she checked, the sun didn't fall deep down into the pit, but held on to the sides mm-hmm. underneath the pit latrine, mm. come back up. Mm. So, But what is even more interesting, what is even more encouraging is that when she narrated the dream to my wife, who was mm. her roommate at the time, anybody, anybody would have thought, well, thank God your son is alive and well. So she mm. narrated the dream. It was like, oh, yeah, wow, that's interesting. Is your son okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I called home. I checked my son is okay. But as soon as she stopped talking, she turned around and said, actually, that is for you. Wow. So she to my wife, and she goes, that is for you. And this is what the Lord is saying to you, that this one you are carrying or you will carry 
will mm. not go down the drain, will hold on to the walls of your tummy. So th- this is the power when God decides to reveal the hidden secrets, you know, mm. and and this is for you. And my wife was startled. She's mm. like tears flowing down her cheeks. She does not know how to process this. It is two days later when they're leaving the retreat. She's like, listen, I've got a confession to make. When you're going on about that dream and its interpretation, I was shaking in my bones because I was thinking, how on earth could you have eavesdropped any of our conversations miles away, except God revealed this to you? We are with child, we are carrying, and these are the emotions we have been having. So what you have said is an encouragement. Yeah, it's like a sign that that the things are going to be fine. And that's the way this I've interpreted. Fine. So, and for me, it's some of those signs. And obviously, that pregnancy came through. It was a sail through pregnancy, then the second and the third one back to back. Because mm. between my first son and second son are fifteen months apart. Between my mm. second and third son are nineteen months apart. So, and and for me, that's why. As part of the coping mechanism, my faith stood me in good stead because I've stood. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. And then someone else might be having a different uh, story based on Mm. a completely different experience that has given them that strength and encouragement. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. And you need to get that from somewhere. Yeah. 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 You need to to get that from somewhere as a man. What was your feeling, right, when you you first held your son in your hands after what you'd been through? Do you remember what that felt like? I think there is vocabulary that we can use in any language that exists. Mm. But I believe that there is vocabulary that is just way too good and doesn't exist. And I don't think there's a vocabulary that exists to describe that feeling because Mm. it is a mixture of gratitude, Mm. achievement, Mm. a sense of accomplishment almost like a vindication as well. But then there is also just a sense of awe. And I think you begin to respect that whole process Mm. of any couple or family or any child that is due to come into this world. Mm. And the fact that it is not set in stone, it is not like, oh yeah, straightforward. The whole process needs to be respected, is sacred. It is close to one, like, like what one would say, it's not something you take for granted. So I begin, began to understand mm. that as a family, being with child and carrying it through mm. every stage is delicate, is sacred, cannot be taken for granted. I think the world, humanity, needs to have more gratitude towards mm. the process. Children, that are, whichever circumstances, unwanted or not, Putting those aside, but that process, in my opinion, is very, very sacred. So coming from these two past experiences and actually mm. seeing the victory the other side, holding my son was, I mean, the, the joy was unconfined. Mm. And I remember I had to dash home to pick up a few things. And like somebody would lost their mind, I was walking outside the hospital up to my car. Mm. Thank God it was deep in the night. There wasn't that many people, human traffic, because I think mm. they would have sectioned me. <laughs> and I was just shouting, I'm a dad, I'm a dad, to nobody in particular. And I sat in the car and realized, did you realize that's a moment of craziness? <laughs> but it's, it's a different emotion of elation mm. from 
the, the emotions of loss. So um, wow. I, it's the very first time ever that I've actually ever had to narrate this whole feeling mm. of my son in the hands. And I remember I gave him his seven names there and then. Mm. Between my sons are 21 names because they each have seven names. So I gave him his seven names. Well, not I gave him, but we had already talked through it. But that was the experience. That was the joy wiped away the previous experience. And did those names come to you at that point in time, or is it something that you've been thinking about for a long time? It's just when you say the seven names, it sounds like a really significant moment for you to give him the names. Was it something that came to you while you were in the car, where you were going to pick up something? Oh, that's interesting. This, this is really interesting. Now, this is one would think is spooky, but isn't. Yeah. Um, my first son's name came a couple of months or weeks before he was born. It was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. I was having a shower. And I had the voice of God tell me, almost like audibly, this is that boy's name. Mention the name. And I kid you not, I was like, that cannot be my invention. I'll never have thought in my comprehension to give anybody that name. Mm. I got out of the shower, still wet, Mm. with bath foam all over me, and screamed to my wife and called her, listen, Mm. the boy's name is X. Mm. This is his name. Mm. I had the sound of God. This is his name. And it, that's his first name. But obviously mm. other names, as you talk through his first names, you come to agree which, which other names are going to be. So, yeah. but that, and that's how we came to those names, basically. Mm. At least the first name. Yeah. And just throughout that entire process, from going from miscarriage to having the birth of your boy and, and re- recognizing that you're now a father, what other things would you say, three takeaways, things that you've learned, things that you've, you know, in terms whether it's related to faith, your relationship with your, with your with your wife, what is the thing that you say? You know, this is this is what I've I've learned from this experience. I think for me, it's just a four-letter word: mm. love. Mm-hmm. Give love. The family is the opportunity for you to give love that is selfless and to give love to the world. There is a lot of love in the species called a human being, regardless of faith regardless of orientation, regardless of background. And for me, the one thing that I can take away that, or I can advise somebody, is that having a family after these miscarriages has given me an opportunity to give love, expecting nothing in return, and knowing it's the best and greatest thing I could ever give. And giving love is not a case of giving tangible things to people, giving love is more than that. It's being there. It is crying with them. It is laughing with them. It is thinking through them. It is working with them. And for Mm. me, that's the banner that I carry in my heart. And also trying to see the best in situations and people, regardless of how society has deemed them or their circumstance and experience has deemed them. I always want to take a step back and say, right, if this person is a criminal, probably wanted by Interpol, I want to imagine their childhood. I want to imagine a child being loved by their mother or father or, you know, having that family relationship and being innocent. I want to imagine that there is a line beneath which this person sought for love and experienced love is human. Mm. I always want to imagine that for each and every person, there is a side in them that requires the love that we can give. For me, experiences have given me that to hold on to and to Mm. give 
given an opportunity. Oh, that's wonderful. The other thing I wanted to, uh, to understand is your relationships now with your wife and your kids now that you have the boys. What, how is that relationship like at the moment? I think the first line I can say to answer that question is, do we have whole day and night? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going to take that much time, but the relationship, I, I, it's peerless. I can't mm. substitute that for anything. Um, my, my wife is my friend and my confidant. She's my mentor, my coach. She's the seat of wisdom in this house, uh, so to speak. And, and our children all different. Uh, we are a unit, a close-knit family, you know, laughing together, doing things together. For us, family is a very big value system. Every couple, every family have got different value systems. Some of them is adventure, others it's all sorts of things. But for us, family, mm. being together as family is a big value system. We need to know where each other is, where everybody's at. We need to check on each other. We need to do things together. Mm. We need to have dinner together, means at the table together. That's important to us. We've got places together as much as we can. And we are transparent. We sit down at a round table and talk about things. And we consider our children as adults. We ask them for their opinion, their feelings. Yeah, we ask, so what do you think about this? So why do you want it this way? You tell us your thought process. So we give them that space for them to express themselves. And and that's part of giving that love and say, okay, let's explain why we will try our way and not your way. And then we explain that with all that explanation to that. And in addition to that, my wife has taught me a lot in harnessing those relationships, going back to culture orientation, bringing out that level of expression, I had to learn and unlearn certain things. But the other thing as well, and how I related in my family and how I've journeyed across that whole process is allowing myself to be vulnerable, allowing myself to be given, you know, points of correction, even from your youngest and littlest. That, that, that sounds like a, a growth and development throughout this whole journey that you've you've embarked on and going through. Absolutely. The case in point is I took my little boy to play football recently, about a month and a bit ago, and I received a phone call. I had these headphones on, so I was on the phone, and they were playing, doing their kickabouts, and I thought, that's fine. I received a phone call, and I carried on. Sometimes I listen to stuff because I am a lover of knowledge. I'm always listening to something or reading something. So then, unknown to me, he comes back. He's extremely frustrated, and he tells his, his, his brothers and his mom, Dad is always on the phone. He doesn't listen to me. I wanted to play with him. Mm-hmm. And that struck something in me and I'm like, okay, he wants the whole of me. So I took it as a learning outcome. So I decided from that day on when I'm out with them, sit. You're, and, you're present, you're you're there. I am present. Yeah. Something yeah. I've allowed myself to work on. So it has taught me that when you value family, you can actually learn a lot from each and every one of them, including the youngest, as young as two or three years old, you'll be surprised. It's allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. And it's not something that men, particularly of a particular descent or parts of the world, are very comfortable with. Understood, yeah. The thing I would like to understand is that what would you recommend in terms of if someone's going through this and they're looking at, okay, how, what are the resources 
podcasts or uh, books or scriptures that you would recommend that people can turn to that you found really useful going through this process? That's a very good question. Um, First and foremost, one of the things that I would recommend is nurturing the right relationships before they read anything. Relationship. Some people may not be married, for example. They've um, then, they, but they've had this experience. But they are those relationships that you have. Maybe brothers and sisters or somebody. You need to have those relationships that you can confine people. You can journey with. That is number one. The the second thing is uh, I won't even say, but the scriptures that affirm your identity and who you are experiences may shape our lenses through life but they do not change who we are mm-hmm. so i would recommend those scriptures for somebody that affirm who you are especially in the kingdom of god and that is real because it allows you to separate yourself from your emotions and the experience and to look to the future with not liberal but with a more honest view mm-hmm. uh, a more correct view with a true view because the miscarriage experience is a fact Mm. but it's it's not the truth Mm -hmm. because there's a difference between facts and truth for example the fact is there has been a miscarriage Mm. but truth is that you know life is in the hands of god so Mm. an opportunity will come for example Mm. So another thing that I would recommend um, someone to uh, to do when they go through those experiences, there's a lot of material out there. People mm. have written stuff about their own experiences and how they have coped. They may not even be people that read the Bible like me, but people have ways. And, and some of that is perhaps having family around others have coped or they go and visit family or grandparents for a time and it helps them heal. You know, mm. and and that's another way of looking at it and dealing with it. But then also, you don't want to discount the whole process of having some medical intervention. Mm. You know, check yourselves out as a couple. It doesn't harm. You know, mm. check yourselves out. And we reluctantly had to check ourselves out. I went and I was checked, and my wife was checked because mm. one to eliminate all those other possibilities. It doesn't harm at all. So as part of processing that whole in the emotion and the whole experience, go check yourselves out mm. and get that medical intervention. And if there is absolutely nothing wrong on that side, eliminate that and just realize, okay, at least we are okay. We can have children again. Those are other ways in which our people can cope uh, through the whole situation and do not be afraid to revisit the situation, talking about it, friends and family. You know, this is how this makes me feel. Phone myself breaking down. It's okay to be vulnerable in these situations. It's, it's, it's through this vulnerability that you actually pick yourself up and heal. And one thing as we come to the end, a couple of things I just want to touch upon. You know, you talk about checking, um, getting yourself checked. Does that extend to therapy in terms of you? you there's the physical part, a part of it and there's the, also the mental part of it. What is your view? Did you consider this? Is it something you, when you talk about getting yourself checked out, is that something that you also looked into? 
That's a very good question because that one could interpret it that way. Mm. But I didn't consider the mental aspect as well. For me, I, I think the checking yourself out, I looked at uh, a couple's ability, capacity in terms of the reproductive aspect of things so to, to eliminate any thought process that it could be X's fault or Y's fault. Uh, you want to eliminate that or establish if it is somebody's uh, situation, how as a couple you move forward in seeking the right medical support. I did not consider the whole mental aspect. I don't think for my part, it got to me to a place where I needed to get any sort of support mentally. That doesn't mean it won't happen for others. Mm. But in my experience, mentally, and I, I think I was, I did not see a need to uh, seek support that way. However, every situation is different and unique. And to others, they take it to heart and blame themselves for a very long time. And perhaps the piece of advice I can give somebody, both man and woman, do not blame yourself whatsoever. And don't look at yourself as a victim. Try and look at the brighter side of, of life. And perhaps the other thing that I want to touch on that not many people want to touch on because they have very strong views either side is children are a gift, a massive gift, regardless of how ready one feels, regardless of how unfortunate the ways in which they might be conceived or come about in some instances might be. For me, children are a gift mm. because you just never know how easy or difficult the next child is going to be. If at all you yeah. can, nobody has a debt with that kind of in life. You don't. You, you have that mindset that this is the gift I've got today. It's just like the day. Mm. Nobody can say I'm guaranteed of tomorrow. You actually aren't. It's, yeah, you can't take anything. For, you can't take that. It sounds, what I'm learning from you, what I've learned from this conversation is the importance of communication, how faith and love can get you through how it's important that you yes. can once you get to a point where you have a, a, a child is that you can the process of learning continues and through them it can that continues but Absolutely. underpinning all that is that you can't take this for granted it's as you say it's a gift and with that i want to say is there anything else you want to add and anything else do you want to add to you know in terms of the conversation in terms of what you think might be useful for someone to know for me i just want to reach out to particularly the dads because i think that was the stem of the whole conversation yeah who've been through this experience and uh, maybe they're still blaming themselves um to let that go and just to move on uh, or try and move on, but also to confide in somebody and get to speak to somebody about that whole situation. Relieve the moment, relieve the emotions. Um, somebody that they are comfortable with in that safe space, that will help. But perhaps one final thing that I can say, especially the men uh, or the dads, find a way of expressing the love inside of you towards the people around you regardless of what the outcomes might be. Understood. Yeah. The biggest regret is to live life knowing you could have given love. You didn't.
because you're selfish. Wow, that's a very powerful message to leave on. Martin, I appreciate you taking your time, sharing your experience, and thank you very much uh, for your time as well. Thank you. Thank you.